Welcome to the Math Out Money Podcast, where we help you understand finance and manage your money so you can get on with living your adventure. You're listening to episode number 49. Today's episode is sponsored by the Mapped Out Money Book Club. This is a new thing that we're trying. If you go to mappedoutmoney.com forward slash book club, you can sign up for free. Um, we're all reading a book this month. It is Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money. Hannah and I are reading it, and we're going to do a just like a live Q&A. Hop on a call, hop on a Zoom call, hang out, chat about the book, see what uh, any takeaways that we had, see any takeaways that maybe you had. Um, that call is going to be at the end of the month of June. So just go to mappedoutmoney.com forward slash book club to sign up if that sounds like something you're interested in. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you then. Today we are talking about careers and it, it gave me a headache like trying to wrestle through yeah, you you had Some the hard you had the hard part for this episode for sure. Well, and it's one of those things where we've actually spent, I mean, a lot of time like thinking through these things for ourselves, but articulating them is hard. Articulating it in a way that doesn't just make sense in your head, but also could somehow be a helpful framework yeah. for well, someone else. And I mean, like when you start talking about careers and like a meaningful career, if that's something that you care about and all that kind of stuff, like it gets deep, Yeah, you know, that's just a really deep topic. And it starts getting into things that would seemingly be completely unrelated to a career. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. So just like boiling all of that down into like actionable things to think through if you would like to make a career transition, it was hard. It's a huge topic. Um, but, but I think it's important one to bring up on this podcast, and maybe if you're listening, you might be going like, why are they talking about this on like a, a finance show? And I, I think it really boils down to the fact that you have two options to get ahead with your money. Uh, option one is you can spend less money, right? That's the frugality piece. Option two is you can make more money. And, you know, if you listen to the show, you know that we're fans of doing both. But oftentimes, if you're trying to do that make more money piece, you are looking to make a career change or you're looking to get a promotion or you're looking to maybe start a side hustle or start a business or do something new in order to actually make more money. And if you're thinking that you want to make more money and this is something that you want to do, we wanted to share our thoughts on that. The other reason I sort of wanted to talk about it was one thing that I think is often not talked about enough is that if your job makes you really unhappy, this goes back to was it last episode or the episode before that we talked about sort of coping with spending? Yes. Yeah, I think that I think that was last episode. So one of the things that's not talked about enough is that if you're really unhappy with your job and your workplace, you're going to be stressed out. You're going to let that affect your emotions. And you actually might increase your spending to cope with the stress at your job. Whereas if you changed your career and did something that you were more passionate about and you enjoyed more and didn't stress you out and didn't cause a lot of anxiety, you wouldn't need to feel like you have to spend money in order to cope with that. So you could even potentially change jobs. And for some people, if it's really affecting you, you could even potentially take a pay cut, but actually still come out ahead because now you don't feel like you have to spend as much money to cope with the stress of the job. Long story short, your career is the thing that makes you money. And this is a money podcast. Yeah. And so we wanted to bring this topic in. And if you're considering changing careers or considering starting something on the side, I, I, I hope that this episode will be helpful for you. 
The other thing I want to tack on there is um, we're going to be relying heavily on Tim Urban's article um, from his Wait But Why blog, and it is How to Pick a Career That Actually Fits You. In that article, he's got this little blurb on like time and like why you should care about your career. So I'm just going to read this paragraph because it's a lot of numbers and it's a wide range of numbers, but the way he breaks it down just like blows your mind or it doesn't, it does me. So for most of us, a career, including ancillary career time, like time spent commuting and thinking about your work will eat up somewhere between 50,000 and 150,000 hours. At the moment, a long human life runs at about 750,000 hours. When you subtract childhood, which is about 175,000 hours, and the portion of your adult life you'll spend sleeping, eating, exercising, and otherwise taking care of the human pet you live in, along with errands and general life upkeep, that's about 325,000 hours, you're left with 250,000 meaningful adult hours. So a typical career will take up somewhere between 20 and 60% of your meaningful adult time. Jeez. Yeah. So it's not, it's not something to uh, be like, well, this is what I did, so yeah. I'll just stick with it. You know, yep. like if you're really unhappy in something, this is, this is an area where it is worth investing your time to think through it and figure out how to change directions if that's what you want to do. That's huge. I don't think I, I remember reading that article a while back, but I don't think I really resonated or, or those well, numbers hit me like that. the thing but, is full of wow. stuff like that where you're like, wow. So, and it's long. Yeah, I mean, all of his articles urban. are long, but like this one is long. So it's, it's kind of hard for it all to sink in. So with that being said, we have a handful of steps that we wanted to share But before we just jump right into the steps, we do want to do a little bit more context setting for how maybe to think about this from the outset, and then we'll get into some actionable steps and probably share some of the thoughts we've had as we've changed careers. You know, as you know, if you listen to the show, I went to school for mechanical engineering. I obviously don't do that anymore. Hannah went to school for physical therapy and then went to grad or went to and school for. A lot of for, people ask me, like, the full thing, like, yes, yes the, full, the thing, full thing, seven years, seven years, <laughs> the whole yep. shebang. And then I don't do it. Yep. So, <laughs> and uh, walked away from that. Even when I was in college, I was like a major in math teaching at one point and then engineering. And this is something I've, I've struggled through a lot. And, uh, and I've landed on something that these days I'm pretty happy with, but we'll share our thoughts as we go. With that being said, I want to read another little part from Tim's article. We'll be reading from his stuff all throughout this episode. This is kind of his introduction to this blog post. And what I like about it is it hits the nail on the head with what I have felt before. Like, I feel really unprepared yeah. for this. I don't mean that in a way like I'm trying to push off responsibility for it. I just mean like, wow, this is something that I need to learn about because this is something that we weren't taught in school. So... What I just said will make more sense after I read this. So Tim says, kids in school are kind of like employees of a company where someone else is the CEO, but no one is the CEO of your life in the real world or of your career path except you. And you've spent your whole life becoming a pro student, leaving you with zero experience as the CEO of anything. 
Up to now, you've only been in charge of the micro decisions. How do I succeed at my job as a student? And now you're suddenly holding the keys to the macro cockpit as well, tasked with answering stressful macro questions like, who am I? And what are the important things in life? And what are my options for paths? And which one should I choose? And how do I even make a path? When we leave school for the last time, the macro guidance we've become so accustomed to is suddenly whisked away from us. Then time happens and we end up on a path, and that path becomes our life story. At the end of our life, when we look back at how things went, we can see our life's path in its entirety from an aerial view. When scientists study people on their deathbed and how they feel about their lives, they usually find that many of them feel some serious regrets. I think a lot of those regrets stem from the fact that most of us aren't really taught about pathmaking in our childhoods. And most of us also don't get much better at pathmaking as adults, which leaves many people looking back on a life path that didn't really make sense given who they are and the world they lived in. So I resonate with that so much because I I don't think I ever would have thought about path making had I not met you. And like, that's a pretty dramatic statement, but I really don't think I would have. In fact, when you first started wanting to do things, um, Tim Urban talks about people having like a life map and either having like an arrow going a certain direction and like maybe that arrow is pointed in the right direction or maybe it's not. And then like some people just having like a question mark. And so he kind of closes the article like, hey, switch on over to the question mark side. Um, But I remember when you told me, you know, like what you wanted to do, I'm like, well, I mean, what does that look like? What does that look like 10 years from now? I mean, much less. What does that look like five years from now? What does that look like even a year from now? Like, you can't even tell me what that looks like a year from now. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's the point. And that, that's we'll fine. We'll figure it out. But to me, in my mind, that meant that you were doing something wrong. Well, and most people, the question mark is scary. And so they, they is, don't want sure. They don't want a question mark. And again, we're we're bred that way. Certainly, maybe there's other countries where this is not the case, but certainly in, in our, uh, you know, North American culture, we are told, do this so that you can make it to the next grade. And then keep doing that over and over and over and over again for 12 years. And if you do that well, you'll go to college. Is it Simon Sinek that, you know, talks about our education system and all that stuff and basically how it's just created uh, to... Seth Godin. Seth Godin. Yep. Okay, and it's just created to like turn out factory workers, basically. Yes. That always makes a lot of sense to me. And it's like, that's really not the world we live in Today. anymore. Mm-mm. And it's not going to be the world that we live in 50 years from now when a lot of robots start start uh, taking over stuff that previously humans did. And now really the work is going to be the more creative problem-solving work that menial sort of task repetitive stuff that's going to be taken over from a computer so the the school system and this is not this episode's not a rant against the school system but the, the school system fundamentally spits out people who are good at just following the laid out path and so at no fault of their own we get to 21 22 23 25 18 years old and all of a sudden, as Tim puts it, he says, like, now all of a sudden you're holding the keys to the macro cockpit and you're trying to go, you're trying to now deal with micro decisions of what do I choose and, you know, whatever. And then macro decisions of like, who am I? Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that we are just fundamentally like you've spent 20 years of your life never asking those questions. 
And then all of a sudden, it just breaks your brain to start asking that it stuff. It does. It's hard and scary and overwhelming to start trying to ask yes. those questions. And so then most of us don't. And then we end up kind of just falling into whatever path is available to us. And I think that's why you get a lot of people who have like the midlife crisis totally. and all of those things like, oh my gosh, whose life is this and how did I get here? Well, or the retiree crisis, right? How many retirees have I worked with that we've helped from the budgeting standpoint? But really what they're dealing with is I spent 40 years in this career doing this thing and now I'm 62 and all of a sudden, I can do anything. Like I have all the time. Maybe I don't have all the money in the world, but I I have all the time. I'm not going to a job. And like, I don't know. Do I want to live in this city or do I want to move? How do I want to spend my day? Do I want to work? Do I not want to work? Do I want to volunteer? Do I want to golf? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, all of a sudden, like really, constraints really are gone hard. and then to yep. figure it out is is hard. So like I said, we're going to be using Tim's article throughout this episode. Um, but just right before we jump into our action steps, the other resource that I wanted to mention here is Christy Knuckles' book, The Life You Long For. Um, and you can look at the cover and tell that this is kind of geared towards women, but the information still applies for men too. Yeah, I haven't read it, but I don't know. I've probably read like 25% of it just from how much like screenshots and stuff you've sent me or read to me. Yeah. And it's really good. But what I like about this is I think she does a really nice job of discussing like path making from a Christian perspective. And she doesn't use that terminology path making, but it it kind of marries all this with like biblical principles yep. to me. In particular, this book has kind of helped me come to terms with the fact that like you never arrive like this side of heaven. And that's something that in my head I know. And yet I will subconsciously find myself like thinking that I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like there's a reason why I feel like I can't figure this out. And yeah. it's be because I'm not going to. How many times a not a month, maybe, but how many times a quarter, let's say a quarter. Do you and I have the conversation of like, we just need to like figure out the right balance. I don't know. A but lot. it's like a lot, right? I and it's, it's recognizing that um, there's not really a, a right balance. Yeah. Just to kind of give you a glimpse into the way that she talks about things a little bit. She talks about it from this perspective of when you're living life in the bullseyes, what she calls it, which means like in step with God and like the Holy Spirit and everything, then you can discover your path from this place of rest instead of striving. Mm -hmm. And And she talks about like, you know, God has set things out for us to do before we were even born and all of that. And we can discover those things through resting in him instead of like driving ourselves crazy and running ourselves ragged, trying yeah. to be like, what should I be doing? I don't know what I should be doing. And yep. like, you know, having all these existential crises. Yes. If this is a topic that you're wrestling with, Tim Urban's article is hugely helpful. I would recommend that you go read it in full. And he's also got like worksheets that go along with it. So mm -hmm. we're going to link to to the article and the worksheets yep. in the description of this episode. And then also we'll link to Christy Knuckles' book, The Life You Long For. Perfect. Let's jump into our action steps. And there's, there's uh, six of these. So step number one is really getting the lay of the land. It's the context, which is you basically need to consider all the different things that you could optimize for. So when you think about your career and the decisions that you're making, there's a lot of different stuff you could optimize for. We talk about this all the time on the show, 
with how are you optimizing your money? What are you trying to buy? This is just that, but applied to, you know, your career and how you're spending your time. And so Tim Urban has this really fun way of coming up with like creatures for all of these things. So the way that he talks about this is your yearning octopus. And it's perfect because, you know, obviously octopuses, octopi, I'm pretty sure. Getting into some dangerous (laughs) territory there. Uh, (laughs) have, um, Have all these tentacles. Okay. And so he talks about how our yearning octopus has all these tentacles and you can't satisfy all the tentacles at the same time and you really can't even satisfy you're yearning you're trying to grab in its entirety. All, all these different things at the yes. same time so like one of, he he breaks it into five different tentacles you may listen to this and you may have more tentacles and that's totally okay so use these as kind of like your baseline and then add to this list if yeah. you need to so the first one is your personal tentacle and that's things like achieving your potential your identity your meaning your self-esteem and your passion the second tentacle is going to be your lifestyle. So this is what I think about is like this is kind of where you spend your money, right? This is your means, the freedom you have, the flexibility you have, how you like to live, the, the luxury or not that luxury you like to have, the ease of your life, the flexibility. It's all about your day-to-day lifestyle. Yeah, like what's your balance? Yes. Like, yeah, how many hours are you having to work? That type of thing. Then you've got your practical which I think it's funny that I'm doing this one instead of you, but the practical is like, you know, not having debt and having food and security and mm-hmm. making sure that all the categories in your wine out account are green. Practical is <laughs> practi- practical is is uh, is like food, water, shelter, right? Like it's security and it's like the baseline practical nature is the yep. way I think. It's all the things we just have to achieve. Yes. Baseline. Yep. Next we have our moral tentacle, which is um, the impact that you're having with your life. It is the well-being of your family and your loved ones and your friends. It's uh, spending your time improving the future, if that's what you feel like you're called to do, or reduce suffering in the world. This is, um, yeah, calling is sort of the word that comes to mind here for me, Um, but moral is, is the way that he has it. Okay, then we've got our social. So that's things like power, appreciation, inclusion, respect, fame, status, and approval. So what I think is really funny about this list and like trying to think through this list is what do we all want to say? We're all like, well, of course, I'm prioritizing for the moral tentacle because of course. I care about other people. And I want and it's like, oh, really? Do, do you? you do you want to do that let me, more than let me you take an audit buy of that your, West Elm yeah. dining room table for your new house? Let's like, take an audit of your time and your money and see yeah. how true that so is. So it's kind of hard to like get honest with yourself yeah. in this. Yeah. But um, anyways. So you don't have to admit it to us. Speaking for a friend there, that's, those weren't my thoughts <laughs> when I went through this. You don't have to admit it to us if you're listening, but just to admit it to yourself uh, about the order of priorities here. So, um, but no, really step one is not even to, to prioritize them. It's really just to consider them and to think about them in the big picture and, and sort of get honest with yourself and actually say, if I was going to audit my time and my budget, how would my time and my budget reflect where my priorities are? Not what I say are mine, but just like if I was considering where I'm doing, what I'm doing, how I'm yearning, what tentacles am I giving more time and attention to? 
So you're talking about, you're saying assess like your baseline where you're at? Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying with step one because... You're kind of adding in a step there for well, us. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is step one is really just about considering them, right? Mm-hmm. It's understanding what's on the list. And if you had to go gut reaction and just say like, yeah, I think I'm probably leaning more this way right yeah. now. It's like how I'm currently doing things. Yeah. But the the big picture here is just to become aware yes. of all of the things that are even there. Um, and so it would be it would be great if we could just like become aware of all those things and then pick like okay I want to prioritize these three yeah um, but that's but we're not human. how life works yes. and so Tim does a great job of talking about how even on the same tentacle you'll have all these conflicting things so I just wanted to read an example from the the blog post which is. Even if you place a high priority on your lifestyle yearnings, it's pretty difficult to keep the whole tentacle happy at the same time. The part of the tentacle that just wants to sit around and relax will hold you back from sweating to build the kind of career that offers long-term flexibility and the kind of wealth that can make life luxurious and cushy and full of toys. So there's a million different examples like that. And he gives a lot of them in the article that you're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like that's why this is such a struggle for me. Um, I want to balance like my family and my work time. But at the same time, my kids want a swimming pool. It's hard. And that is being human. And so that's why this step is just, just throw it all out there and just getting down. Like these are the possibilities of what I could focus on. That's right. And so that's why I think this list is a, a perfect place to start. I will say before we go on to the next step, if you're feeling overwhelmed at this point, please know that that is normal. Hannah and I were talking about this last night when we were talking about this episode about how overwhelming it is. Yeah. Nick had been um, in our fake office, our office until we get our real (laughs) office done, like recording some stuff. And I had been sitting out in our den, like trying to script this out for us. And he came out and he's like, what's wrong with you? Because I was like, I was like wiped. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I I'm like, in a zone or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I've just been like thinking through stuff. <laughs> so but, well, it's, but then it's just I overwhelming sat down. to try to make order. Yeah. Out of Cause it. I sat down and I read through everything you wrote and it was like, yeah, this is like overwhelming. This is a lot. And so if you're feeling that way, please know that I think that's normal and part of the process push through and know that the big goal for this whole episode is just to help get you moving down some kind of direction towards some, area that is going to put you in a better place yeah if you're overwhelmed it's okay you're not alone we get it that being said let's uh head on to step number two and that is to carefully analyze your motivations and priorities aka your yearnings and start figuring out your personal hierarchy so you don't have to get too wrapped up in that hierarchy piece yet um we're going to really dive into that to into uh, step number three um but this is where Nick kind of teased it in step number one, um, but in this step is where you kind of want to start thinking about like, okay, where do I think I would like my priorities to be? Yeah, and we've got some guiding questions for you to help help you think through this one. Uh, so some of those are going to be, why am I not content with my current job? What do I think I want to do instead? Or said another way, if you could do anything for work and make enough money to live your life, what would you do? Why do I have the desire to do what I think I want to do? And are my motivations my own? Or am I being influenced by subconscious beliefs or the people around me? This is a really tough one and a really important one to think through. And then the next question is, was I even aware of those beliefs? Have I analyzed them before now? 
And then lastly, are other people or their opinions playing too big of a role in my thinking? And that goes for me and Hannah. Podcasts you listen to, friends, family. If other people are affecting you too much, we obviously want to avoid that. Yeah. And this is something that's really hard for me as a people pleaser is like figuring out where that line is of like, okay, it's okay to take input, but I shouldn't be letting other people like make the decisions for me. And so again, I think Tim Urban did a great job of kind of of kind of uh, summarizing how to tell the difference between a healthy version of input and an unhealthy version of caring too much about other people's opinions. And here's what he says. Do you treat the words of your external influences as information held and considered by an authentic inner you that you've carefully decided to embrace? Or are your influences themselves actually in your brain masquerading as inner you? Like where you don't even know what you actually think anymore. Yeah. And that's hard. Like that's hard to internalize and actually understand. I just think most people are going to struggle with the self-awareness to know what they believe versus what has just been uh, influenced upon them. I totally agree. This is like a sticky topic in our in our society right now. I feel like I feel like there's a lot of talk about like your inner truth and mm-hmm. your inner whatever. Um, and so Nick and I just wanted to insert in this part that when we start talking about those things, like what do you uphold as your foundational truths? Like for us, that is our relationship with God and the truth found in the Bible. And like everything else has to filter through that. And if something is in conflict with that, it's not the Bible that's wrong. We just wanted to to put that out there and, you know, encourage you to think about those things for yourself. It's, It's definitely easier, I think, if you have some kind of foundation of something that you can go back to, right? That's not just, well, I think it's this or I think it's that. So at the end of the day, step number two is starting to organize these things. And this is where you kind of opened up talking about how like this topic gets real deep real fast. Like you clicked on an episode about how to change careers and we haven't really talked about careers at all yet. We are talking about like your deepest, most personal desires and motivations and values. And that is stuff that you're not going to be able to answer in a 15 minute exercise. This is stuff you're going to have to mull over and just embrace that this is a process and you probably won't ever fully arrive. I think this is something that we have to continually uh, reassess, go back to and reevaluate and make sure that, yes, is this still the thing that I'm searching for and am I doing it? But in this episode, we just want to get your brain starting to think about this process of starting to organize your tentacles in a way and say, okay, if I have to put, you know, priority around them, how do I think I want to do it? Yeah. And, you know, we talk about this concept too, like with your budget and deciding what your priorities are and um, how you have to have like a long-term vision mm-hmm. in order to like be able to filter through things and actually make decisions that make sense for where you're wanting to go in life. But we say this all the time, like you have to continually reassess, like, is that long-term vision? Is that still what you want? Do you need to to tweak that at all or, you know, whatever? It's, a, it's just this continual, a continual process, like reworking things. And it's like, a continual process on both sides, right? It's a continual process of, is this vision, direction, values, 
are those still the things that I'm going after? Yes, no, or do I need to change them? And are my actions aligning with what I say yeah. I want to be doing, right? Yep. I mean, you just brought this up last week. You were like, hey, uh, what have we been doing with all of our cash back money? Because like we make, with the amount of money that we spend on any given month, uh, we make normally somewhere between like 50 to 75 bucks a month in cash back. And I basically just take it all and put it in our eating out budget. <laughs> That's what I've been doing for the past four or five months uh, because we consistently have been blowing that eating out budget. And uh, so we're really trying to dial that. In. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to dial that back because you were like, you know, we could have bought. Dude, we're eating on a folding table. Yes, like. Like we could have bought the table that I want for our den underneath the window. Uh, <laughs> By, you know, just two or three months of cash back if we wouldn't keep eating all the cash back We're not money. putting a dining table un- underneath our window in the den. Yeah. Don't get concerned. <laughs> Anyways, so it's it's not only a continual reassessment of the vision, but it, then it's also, a, yeah, our actions are not really aligning with what we say is it important. Is. So we do this too. Like we look at things and go like, oh, yeah, we, uh, that's. <laughs> shouldn't be happening um so don't don't listen to us and think that we don't do this the last thing on this step number two here that we just wanted to mention is uh the exercise the five why exercise is another good thing to sort of throw in here this is something we talk about a lot but when you when you say okay i think that uh this tentacle is maybe the most important to me and some of these things are most important take a minute and ask yourself why and then when you answer that one ask why again and again and again five times well and even like you know like the why am I not happy at my current job kind of question yes um because I I tend to be um really bad at answering these questions and even why do I think that I want to do what I think I want to do I would be terrible trying to answer that question and so what has helped me is to use that five whys exercise because normally my first answer kind of sucks and doesn't really tell me very much yep and the further down I can go, like I'll start getting little inklings of something that's actually helpful if I'll just keep going. But you it's think hard. about it. You think about it like an onion or a peach, right? Where you're like, that first why is you're peeling back a layer, and then that second why peels back another layer, it's and like you're Shrek. You're yes. trying to get to that core, mm-hmm. you know. All right, take us to step number three. So step number three, this is where you are actually going to prioritize this stuff to curate your values on these tentacles i love that like priorities are so i mean they're important to me too you prioritize priorities um you've been like trying to get to step number three ever since step number one so like it just cracks me up yeah i'm just like pulling us there so you're so then you'll want to think about (laughs) i'm like dude that's step three chill (laughs) as you said though if you try to hold everything and be like oh, well, this is my top priority, or like, actually, all these things are my top priority, then that's not going to work. You you can't prioritize everything. Um, what's that? Uh, isn't it the, um, what's that superhero movie? The Kids, The Incredibles? That's like, if everybody's super, nobody's super. Marie Kondo talks a lot about that, too. Like, if you keep everything because it's so special and sentimental, then nothing, nothing is special is. and yes. sentimental. Same thing here. If everything is important to you and your top priority and value, then nothing is important to you and your top priority and value. And so Tim has this uh, this great bit, and I'll read this one. He says, remember that ranking of yearnings is also a ranking of fears. The octopus contains anything that could make you want or not want to pursue a certain career. And the reverse side of each yearning is its accompanying fear of the opposite. The reverse side of your yearning to be admired 
is a fear of embarrassment. With both yearnings and fears in mind, think about what your internal hierarchy might look like and return to that same important question. Who made this order? And was it really me? With step number three, we've got, what is it? One, two, three, four, five little buckets that Tim has you put these uh, in. They're shelves. Okay, well, sorry, I'm just shelves. And uh, actually, one's a bowl and one's a can, so that doesn't work. But. <laughs> Anyways, there, there's five areas that we're going to organize these things into. And again, the worksheets that we're linking to from Wait But Why it has all of this. He has a whole worksheet yes. for this. Yep. Um, if this is something you want to do. So the the way they break down is your non-negotiable bowl. <laughs> His names of things like he's incredible. He's, he's so, so good. So, but but the idea here is that you only get to put like one or two things in this. That's it. Because your non-negotiables, unfortunately, we live on planet Earth where you have to make trade-offs. And so you can only get one, two, three at absolute most. But it's your must-achieve at all costs non-negotiables. Next is your top shelf. So these are the top priorities. You're going to try really hard to make these things happen after your non-negotiables are met. Next is your middle shelf. This is important, and you're going to try to not completely fail at these things. It's okay if they're not the best, but you don't want to totally drop them here. Next is your bottom shelf. This is like a, I think about it like a nice to have. Like if possible, I would really like to have this too, but it's not that big a deal. And I'm not going to try and go there at all costs. And then last is your trash can where you are going to throw away or just put things that you're going to really try and resist. So I really like that. I'd never thought about these things. And I like the visual, like, because I can visualize a bowl sitting on the top shelf and then working my way down to the trash can. Like, that's cool. Um, but I wanted to hear from you because you actually took some time to write down some of yours. And I think it might be helpful as an example to share what your non-negotiables and your shelves were. Okay, yeah. So my non-negotiable bowl is that my identity and meaning are defined by God and not my career. So like... I'm not going to choose a career because I'm so attached to that identity. Like, yes. yes, I'm a doctor. And that's something you've really struggled with in the past. Yeah, it is. Because when I when I left PT, I felt like, well, I was a PT. What am I if I'm not a PT? Yep. And it's like, that's not who you are. <laughs> You're still Hannah. And I love Gabby Reese, who I've talked about her podcast. She does a really good job because she said that, um, you know, she was an Olympic volleyball player. And so people will, they'll say, you were that, um, you're that like ex Olympic volleyball player, right? <laughs> and she's like, I'm Gabby Reese. Yes. Playing volleyball is one of the things that I've done. Yes. Um, that, that is true. But she's like, but I'm, that's not, that doesn't define me. That's not yeah. who I am, you know? Yeah. And so uh, that's something that I always like have to keep in check for myself. So if I ever find myself doing a job because of the title and the identity that it lends me, um, not cool. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of, well, that's really, that almost is like the trash can to the trash can piece, right? What you're trying to achieve in the fear, right? Is yeah. like what that's really the trash can you're, you're trying to say identity and God is my non-negotiable. And if you look at the tentacles, right, so scrolling back up here to social, which is like power, appreciation, respect, fame, status, approval, identity, like that piece, you're trying to avoid finding that anywhere else. Yeah. 
Um, and so then, you know, my other non-negotiable is like relationship with you and like family. Yep. So I don't want to do anything that is going to dominate my time to the point where I'm having to sacrifice in those areas. So again, I'm like, I'm giving like a non-negotiable and then like a trash can that goes with it. So I don't know if I'm doing that wrong. But. No, I think that's right. <laughs> well, cause uh, so we'll go back and forth. So my non-negotiables are the same, like literally the exact same God and family. And that's not surprising because we're married and there's a reason we married each other because we have core sort of foundations and beliefs that we both align with. And how this relates to my career is, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I got a phone call from a client. So I worked at an engineering company in Tennessee and uh, we had a client out in California and they called me on Friday afternoon on uh, Memorial Day weekend and we were going camping. I was literally packing up our car to go camping for the long weekend. And they called me and said, hey, we have an issue. We need you out here tomorrow. Like book a flight, get on a plane. Don't care what you're doing on Memorial Day weekend. We need you here. Long story short, I negotiated with him. I ended up coming out. We cut the camping trip short by a day. I came out a day early. I didn't go the next day, but I did come out over the weekend and was there on Memorial Day. But that trip made me go, okay, we don't have kids yet. And I'm early in my career, so we have to kind of do what I have to do. But I am not doing this. Like, I'm not doing this for the next 40 years. And I saw guys do that. Um, And I just decided for our non-negotiables and what we valued um, that I was not going to build a career in a way that took me away from family at the drop of a hat all the time. So that was sort of the, the start of really trying to figure something else out different and it all goes back to those non-negotiables yeah um so then for top priorities the practical piece is a big big thing for me so like i want security i want to not worry about like how are we going to pay for medical Mm -hmm. stuff how you know whatever that kind of thing and then another big one is flexibility and that flexibility kind of goes hand in hand with that family non-negotiable Bowl. The flexibility is the thing that supports the supports the non-negotiable. Well, I mean, it can. Yeah, for but us. But it, it depends. For, for me, it does. And we have found that, you know, that was kind of an unexpected thing. Like when I did leave PT, we had things come up with family. And I, I mean, I had the thought of, oh, my gosh, what would I do if I was working a traditional nine to five that was location dependent, like, I couldn't be here hmm. or I would have just had to straight up like quit my job. I would have just yeah. had to call you and be like, Hey, we got to figure some things out because we're moving. I've got to be in yeah. Knoxville for the next six months. Yep. So yeah, I, I have come to really value that because you know, life throws curveballs, And with the way my personality is when, when that happens to one of my super close family members, I can't, I can't handle like, okay, well, I'm eight hours away, so, you know, yep. let me know how it's going. Yep. So that flexibility piece is, like, huge for me. Scout's barking to confirm that she likes our flexibility, too. <laughs> you know, the the other thing that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that is, like, lifestyle. Yep. And the structure that we want our, our family to be and, you know, whatever. All of that stuff is kind of my, my top priority. So, yeah. again, you know, that I'm not going to go be – a lawyer who's working like Mm-mm. psycho hours nothing wrong with if if that aligns with your priorities like not, totally not, not hitting yours. on that but it doesn't align with mine and so that's like i don't need to be in that type of career 
setting. So, so let yeah. me let me do mine. I hang on. So that flexibility thing. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like totally interrupt you. But with the flexibility, you you were like that supports family, whatever. And I said in some ways. Um, and what I wanted to say there is like flexibility is like this double edged sword. So having that nine to five structure can also really support balance with family too. Yes, if, totally. If that's kind of what you want to go for, because what is hard about our flexibility is that it's not nine to five. Hmm. And so we can really easily find ourselves scripting podcasts all day long on a Sunday, yeah. um, you know, and on the same, on the same token, I'm not complaining about that at all. On the same token, we might go to Lowe's on a random Tuesday, yep. you know, um, in the middle of the day. If anybody who, who's listening is self-employed or has ever tried to be self-employed, you understand that it's sort of like always having a monkey on your back. It's this never sort of never stopping, never ending thing that's yeah. always there. So that, that feels flexibility like you should be working on it. tends to mean that we take less time off on the whole yes. than we would if we worked traditional jobs, but we can take it and really like meaningful ways and if big big chunks mm-hmm. if if a situation warrants it totally. um, so yeah um, flexibility can mean a lot of different things yeah and so like for me my my top shelf is is again going to be similar to yours the practical baseline security is important to me although i think our definitions of that are a little bit different <laughs> probably like uh, emergency fund amounts you would want a larger emergency fund than i feel comfortable with or that that I feel like I need to have, and I would probably invest more of an emergency fund into um, riskier things that have higher upside, but you would want um, a little bit more stable, right? So just as a small example. Yeah. But it's definitely there. I do have a baseline of that. And then the other piece for me is is also that flexibility over my, the choice of, I call it my choice of time. So I still work a lot of hours, right? You do too. Um like you just said, it's not that we work less hours. It is about the choice of where and when we get to do those. Well, and I mean, like you very much are the CEO of sure. what we do. So like you work a lot of hours. But the the point is more about I'm not going to get called from a client to come out at a last minute thing and fly out there like I used to. Now I have a lot more control and structure over when I put those hours in. Yes. If we choose to sacrifice weekend time or whatever to work on the business it's us making that choice it's not somebody else calling us and telling us that we have to and for us that's both of us that's an important thing whereas for you you may not care at all about that we have friends who don't care at Mm -hmm. all about that they're like i would much rather answer to somebody else and that's great yep so yeah again it's all about defining these things and figuring them out for you the uh the the last little top priority that i was just going to add for me was a baseline level of health here. So you'll notice I sort of have different definitions, right? My my middle shelf and bottom shelf are going to be more of like the fun things, like, oh, if I get to do jujitsu or like get to do the type of, of working out or like athletic things that I want to do, that's like a nice to have. But the top shelf is a, a baseline of health just because we so believe that if you lose your health, you can have all the money in the world, but it doesn't really matter. And so having some level of a baseline of like decent health is uh, is definitely on my top shelf. Yeah, I agree. Um, and to move on to the middle shelf too. So like top shelf for me would be like health. Yes. And then like middle shelf would be like 
athlete. So expanding into right. like some of those things like being able to do a walking handstand or I don't know, you know, whatever, double unders. If I can achieve those things, then cool. But at the same time, I don't have to achieve those things to be hitting my health mark that's on the top shelf. I guess the middle shelf really kind of embodies what I just said. So maybe, maybe like working out slash being an athlete or whatever would just be on the middle shelf for me because that definition is it's important to not completely fail at it. And like the better I can do at it. Great. great. Um, But also I'm not like over here trying to be whoever, whatever, female athlete. I can't think of it name right now (laughs) and my middle shelf my middle shelf would probably be more around the lifestyle stuff so this is where i would place things like making our life a little bit easier you know like next time we paint the house we can afford to hire somebody to paint the house yeah right that's a great like like, middle shelf that's a middle shelf thing for me because it's not a must-have i'm not prioritizing paying for services or you know whatever by the time that rolls around we will have forgotten what a what, what a, a pain it is! It and we'll do it again, <laughs> and we'll be ready to. But jump think, into that I, again. I do. That's what I think about. I think about things like oil changes or like paying to have someone mow the yard, like things like that. That I'm like, it'd just be nice, you know. That's what I'm going to put on my middle shelf and my bottom shelf. That like, if we build enough wealth where I can do that kind of stuff, uh, sure. And but so again, I'm not optimizing for it. You know, this kind of gets convoluted because you're like, okay, well, you're not really talking about like job things. And it's like, well, we're not, but we are because well, we we're are. talking about money. You're talking about um, how much money that job needs to pay you. Yes. So what we're saying is once you get past a certain level of security, additional money is middle shelf for us. Yes. Additional money is middle shelf. We're always going to prioritize that God, family, and that flexibility that's going to be in that bowl and that top shelf. And if, if, if taking on more responsibility to make more money in a career is going to now conflict compromise and compromise of some of those, we're not going to do it. And that's why we've walked away. I've walked away from projects. I've walked away from freelance clients. I've walked away from jobs where I was making more money because it started to infringe on the stuff on those top shelves. Yeah. All right. Are we ready for bottom shelf? Do we yeah. kind of already do that? Yeah. We, I think we kind of already hit it. And then the last thing I think is for us is the trash can, which is kind of those things that we want to avoid, which really are just going to be the opposite of things on our top, like finding our, our identity anywhere else, um, going after something just like Tim Urban has that fifth tentacle of the social. For me and you, again, not knocking it, if anybody else wants to do this, that's fine. But we try to avoid doing something or taking a job or getting a career just for the fame or the status. Yeah. I actually put, I put status, approval, and ease yes. in the trash can because I think... Depending on the people, obviously, like a lot of people approve of what I do and uh, I'm glad that they approve of what I do. But I also know that I'm aligned with them as people, mm-hmm. my parents, yep. you know, but I think seeking approval can be a really dangerous thing because, you know, maybe you don't align with a lot of people. And if you if you're subconsciously seeking their approval, that can be a really bad thing if you don't agree with them as People. I don't (laughs) know. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? No, it does. But yeah, so status approval and ease were in my trash can because, and I have said this several times, I'm like, you know, there are some things that are just like character building. Like it's character building to paint your house. That's right. And um, I told Nick, I was like, you know, even if somebody dropped a million dollars on our front door when we were halfway done painting our house, like today, 
I would not pay for somebody to finish painting this house because I'm like, it, we need to complete it. And yes. this is a character building project for us. Yep. Um, it's like the first time we buried RV cables uh, oh to dig a ditch. Oh my gosh. We didn't rent a stupid a ditch, us, witch? A ditch witch. We, we did it by hand with a uh, pickaxe. Um, it was like a, it was pretty good far it was, too. It was, it was like not about a hundred feet. Trench, y'all. Yeah. Like people, if anybody has ever done a ditch and they've used a ditch, which they're like, yeah, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> but it's character building. That case is questionable, but <laughs> sure. We'll let it slide. All right. So that brings us to the end of step number three. Now you can group these steps in half, right? So steps one, two, and three are all about organizing, figuring out, getting the lay of the land of your priorities and values, what matters to you, especially as it pertains to a career and how you want to spend your time and money. Steps four, five, and six are all going to be a little bit more practical about, okay, now that you know the values and priorities, how do we go find a job or a career that's going to help us get those? So step number four is to identify your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, we literally have teed up and planned the next two episodes that we're going to do on this podcast. So if you're into this topic, you're going to really like this part. The next two episodes are all going to be about Strengths Finder, which is a uh, personality test that Hannah and I have found really helpful that identifies your strengths and what you're good at. So we're going to dive into that in the next couple of episodes. But the big idea with step four is self-awareness around what you're good at. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? The two tests that we like are StrengthsFinder 2.0 and the Colby A. Um, StrengthsFinder is all about your strengths, right? as, it, as it sounds. There's a bunch of different skills. Colby is kind of interesting because it helps you think about how you work and the role that you would thrive in. Quick example on that. Uh, I'm very low in quick start, uh, basically how quickly you get started on some new idea or project. I'm very low, I'm, and it's because I'm so planning and strategic oriented that I don't get started very quickly, which means I do have a tendency to procrastinate. On the flip side, it means I tend to be very thoughtful about whatever it is I'm doing. So I don't thrive in roles where there's a lot of newness and I have to come up with a new idea and boom, get it get it going and hit the ground running. Um, I thrive in roles where I can sort of sit back and think and plan and uh, and map things out. So Tim Urban talks about, he mentions it in the career article. He has a whole other blog post on it, specifically this idea of a chef versus cook mentality. Um, and so what we think is really helpful about these personality tests is that it can kind of help you figure out where you want to take on a chef persona, which is like creativity and originality versus where you want to just be a cook, which is copying other people and conforming. And you have to mix those two things. You every, can't yeah, be a chef in every area. No. So these tests can kind of help you kind of narrow in your focus on where you want to be a chef. Then that brings us to step five, and that is to brainstorm ways to combine your strengths or the things that you want to be your strengths. Because even if something's not one of your top things and you really want it to be, you can improve that thing. So, um, you know, we're we're big on that. So think about those things and um, how you can marry those with your hierarchy of yearnings. Yeah, I really like this idea of combining your strengths and the things that you want to be your strengths to create sort of a unique cocktail that is Hannah or that is Nick or that is whoever you are listening. And there's some advice that um, Scott Adams has on this. Scott Adams is the creator of Dilbert and Andy, Andy J. Pizza, who you really like, yep. um, talks a lot about this as well. And we talked about this idea in our Weird Al episode. Yes. Too. So uh, check that out, that out as well. But the idea is how can you combine 
a couple different things. So here's what Scott Adams says, uh, and I'm a, I'm a huge Dilbert fan, but he says, if you want an average successful life, it doesn't take much planning. But if you want something extraordinary, you have two paths. Number one, become the best at one specific thing. Or number two, become very good, say top 25% at two or more things. The second strategy is fairly easy. In my case, I can draw better than most people, but I'm hardly an artist. And I'm not any funnier than the average stand-up comedian who never makes it big. But I'm funnier than most people. And the magic is that very few people can draw well and write jokes. It's the combination of the two that makes what I do so rare. And then when you add in my business background, suddenly I had a topic that very few cartoonists could hope to understand without living it. So he combines his drawing skills, his comedy skills, with his business background to create Dilbert, one of the best, you know, most published cartoons of all time. Yep. And, uh, you know, hugely, hugely successful. But he's not the best artist, the best comedian, or the best uh, business whatever. Yeah. He just combines them. So you see that with Weird Al combining humor and being a really talented musician. You see that with Andy J. Pizza being a really good illustrator and combining that with encouraging other creatives and creating a podcast to do that. So yeah, those, those are all really good examples of that. And then... Along those lines is another guiding question that actually comes from James Clear's Atomic Habits and was brought to our attention by our friend Austin Church. And that question is, where do I have a higher tolerance for boredom or more grit than other people? Those areas are the ones where you can reach that top 25% ranking because you're willing to just grind it out yep. and get really good at those things. You're, you're willing to do those all the time. Yes. The, the bottom line for step number five is if, if you think about like a Venn diagram for thinking about what kind of career I want to choose, what you want to do is you want to mix this Venn diagram of a couple of things that you excel at and are passionate in and then how those overlay with skills that people will actually pay money for, uh, which brings us to step number six. And that's going to be to actually research and figure out what careers embody your values, your strengths, and the areas of grit that you sort of outlined. What's the overlap between what you really like and enjoy and are good at and what people will pay money for? Yeah, so just a few ideas on how to um, even become aware of all the possibilities that are out there. You can start by searching job listings and just get an idea of, of what's what's there. And then also, I think pretty much everybody at this point has online influencer type people or like small online businesses that they like to follow. And so look, look at those people and what they're doing. And if they're hiring for things, that's that's what you did when you started freelancing. There were companies that either I use on a daily basis, like, like YNAB, for Mm -hmm. example. So there's companies that I just use, I use their products and services. And I would just go to their careers page and be like, does anybody, like, do they hire for things that I would be good at? And that's how I got started freelancing. Yeah. Okay. So then from there, you know, talk to people that you admire um, about what they do and, and figure out if that's something that might be aligned. And this, you know, I remember, I remember being, um, I don't know, I was in high school and I remember thinking like, oh, I might want to go like be a doctor. And so my parents had a, a, a friend of theirs. They had a friend who was a doctor and they were like, well, let's just like, let's set up a meeting. Let's see what you think and asking questions. And that was really cool. And like super great of my parents and super nice. 
that happened for that one career. And it was helpful because it pretty quickly made me go like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I, I think, I think a lot of people can feel like, well, well, what if I don't have access to people that, um, do what I think I want to do? And that's, what's amazing about the internet, right? So these days you go to YouTube and you type in literally any career, pretty much any career, and you're going to find a vlogger, a YouTube day in the life, day in the life person yeah. who like is doing that thing, living in that city all the way from like trade jobs, like being a plumber, being an electrician, like you can go find those guys on YouTube to being like uh, a more tech person or being a designer. They're all over. So if you have any inkling of like, I think I might want to do something like that, go to YouTube, type that in and you will find people who talk about their experience with it and you can get a good idea of like whether this is something that you actually think you want to do or not well and i think the other thing is you know don't overanalyze. Totally. so think about what are the things that you like when you're not even thinking about a career yes. or a job like what are the fine things you find yourself gravitating towards yes so like me for years something that has like intrigued me is all of like the behind the scenes my workspace that yes. of like designers or um super you know focused like crafts people or whatever um and i've always liked that like oh wow getting to see inside their studio or inside their whatever um i could watch videos like that all day long and it's because i i like what they do totally um so yeah think about those things and what is recurring for you well and like so like me we'll probably talk more about this in the next episode when we talk about strengths but if we think about that little venn diagram back when i was an engineer some things that came to light for me was i'm fairly good at teaching i used to teach piano lessons i used to tutor math I always liked teaching. I was majoring in secondary education at one point, and all of my friends would come to me when they had questions about math, finance, stuff on the job, whatever. I'm, I'm fairly good at explaining things, and I like it. Second, I love finance. I love it. I've read blogs and books and watched YouTube videos for years. So those were two things that were like sort of in my passion and good at camp. And then I was like, well, can I get paid? to like do those things? And the answer is yes. And so then I just had to figure out how to package that up in a way that people would actually pay money for. And turns out there's this whole thing called financial coaching that didn't even exist 20 years ago that now is like a booming industry. So I was like, well, cool. I could just marry up all of these strengths and passions with a way that people can actually pay money for this. And boom, now we have a job. Yeah. So read biographies of the people that you admire, do a general Google search for like anything, fun jobs, interesting totally. jobs, rare jobs, whatever. I mean, just Google search everything. Just figure out, figure out what's even what's there. What's even possible. Because that's what I feel like, um, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot. When you come out of high school, it's like, you don't even know what's possible. Yeah. Like, I'm mean, really, realistically, maybe I had a list of 20 things that I kind of was picking from. Yeah. Like when I decided what path to go down. Well, that's 20s, me. 20s, 20s, probably yeah. being generous though. <laughs> well, like I, I literally, how many times have I told you, like, I literally didn't even know financial advising was a thing. Yeah. I didn't know that that was a career. I didn't know that graphic design was a thing, <laughs> at, which people are like, wow, you're an idiot. But I thought it was like computer programming. Yes. And I was like, oh, well, I don't, I don't seem like the people that I see that are computer programmers. Like, I don't yeah. think, I don't think that's me. Um, but and yeah, I, I had then a I weird... met a graphic designer my third year of PT school, and I was like, "Wait, I'm sorry. Tell me what? Tell me what you're doing again? What? Like, yeah. I'm upset right now." <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. And so just get yourself familiar with what's even possible. People, you, I'm telling you, you don't know what's possible. And because of the internet, so much, so, so, so much is possible now. Start Googling, start YouTubing and read biographies, everything we just said to figure out what's even available. Look at job boards and job pages and start figuring out that Venn diagram for you. And then the last thing is just to relax and just start somewhere. Um, I think that's the most important thing to remember is not to get into that analysis paralysis. Like just start doing something. And if you figure out that that's not what you want to be doing, then move on to something else. Um, And this, again, Tim Urban talks about this in his article, but it's a concept that I've heard other places too. You know, thinking of your life as like connect the dots. Um, It's you're not in a tunnel. You're, you can connect dots. He talks about like, you don't have to have every dot mapped out ahead of time. There's this quote of like, um, no man ever steps in the same river twice because by the time he steps in it again, both he and the river have changed. That's 100% true for your life and your career. You're going to change. And so to think that you're going to map this out from 18 to 62 and nail it is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so this is a quote from Tim Urban's article that I really liked. By the time dot number four rolls around, you will have learned stuff about yourself you don't know now. You'll also have changed from who you are now, and your yearning octopus will reflect those changes. You'll know a lot more than you currently do about the career landscape and the specific game boards you're interested in, and you'll have you'll have become a much better game player. So I just think that's so important to remember. Like you may feel like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do when I get to dot number seven or, you know, whatever. And it's <laughs> yep. like, don't think about dot number seven. You're on dot number two yeah. and you're going to be growing and changing all along the way. And then dot number seven won't seem so scary and unknown right. and, you know, whatever. That's so, right. Becky Simpson, the illustrator that I like, she talks about lily pads. She's like, you just got to jump on one lily pad. And then from one lily pad, you can jump to other lily pads, but you just got to get on a lily pad. Yes. Um, and it really doesn't matter which one you pick. Just pick one. Get on it. Just then get on another one. Start no big deal. moving. Yep. Like that's the key with this whole thing. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're listening to this, still listening to this, we appreciate it first off. But uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this um, and it feels overwhelming, like just pick a lily pad. Just get going. It's okay. You will figure it out as you go. That's what we do. That's what we all do. And uh, it's part of the fun. So frogs like lily pads. And you know what else that I've heard that frogs like? What do they like? Stuff we like. <laughs> loving a gentleman in Mos- Moscow, Moscow. They say Moscow in the book. I'm uneducated and I call it Moscow. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> moss on a cow. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, <laughs> that book is amazing. I just finished it on audiobook and it was so good that I'm about to just pick up the physical book and actually read it because it was that good. So what's the premise? I'm going to I'm going to read you a little blurb from bibliophile because so that I don't say something that like accidentally spoils things or something you know you gotta think before you like I know yeah so it's historical fiction it's said in Moscow <laughs> in 1922 <laughs> and um it's after the Russian Revolution the Bolsheviks take control and it follows Count Alexander Ilyich Rostov um, and he is basically placed on house arrest in the Metropole Hotel. Okay, so it the whole thing basically takes place in this hotel and follows the count. And 
I, I read somewhere they were like, this book literally has a mix of like everything. It's like romance, it's thriller, like it's everything. It has it all. Um, and they are supposed to be making it into an Apple Plus uh, limited series. series. Yeah. Yes. So I hope that that happens um, because the author, they there was a lot of interest in making it into a feature film. And the author was like, no way. Like, that's way too short. We're not cutting it down to that. And so it they started it out. I was reading this on Bibliophile. They started it out as a limited series that was going to be between six to eight hours total. And then the Apple Plus people started looking at it and they were like, that's nowhere near enough. And so they bumped it up to like 16. It's supposed wow. to be 16 that's hours worth. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a really, it's a really great book. Yeah. It is really, really good. If you like historical fiction, read this book. All right. Well, let me uh, give us a wrap up. We'll be done. So if you are thinking about changing careers, if you are thinking about trying to do something on the side, we got six steps for you. The first three steps can be summed up with thinking through what you want to optimize for, the rank order of your top values and priorities, and if you have to choose between your non-negotiables, your top shelf, your mid shelf, your bottom shelf, and your trash can, how are you ordering what you care about? That's steps one through three. Steps four through six are all about figuring out your own strengths and weaknesses, which we're going to talk about in the next couple of episodes, and then creating this nice Venn diagram of your strengths and weaknesses and things that you're passionate about with things that people actually pay money for and combining that to figure out where you fit. So hopefully this is helpful for you. We really appreciate you listening. If you're excited about the strength stuff, I think you're really going to enjoy the next couple of episodes. So be sure to tune in for that. And, uh, That's all we got. Thanks so much.